but I want my heart right. I don't want to miss an opportunity to worship this morning. I know it's cold and it's frigid and it's ugly out there, but it's warm and toasty in here, and God is good. Amen. So, Father, this morning we just lift you up. We worship you. I thank you, Lord. The things in this world we can lay down at your feet. And, Father, we desire right here, right now, to come into your presence, to worship you, to adore you, to love on you. And I thank you, Lord, that you inhabit the praises of your people this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of your lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of your lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. On my soul, don't you get shy of me? Let your pure soul. You got a lion inside your soul. Get up and praise the Lord. Yes, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy of me? Let your pure soul.
So I lift up the king I lift up the Lord I lift up the Lord Save my soul got nothing new How could I express all my gratitude I could sing these songs as I often do But every song must end and you Oh, I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I'm nothing else for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. I've got one response. I've got just one move. With my arms stretched wide, I will worship you. And so I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. I've got just one response I've got just one move With my arms stretched wide I will worship you
sing hallelujah sing hallelujah sing hallelujah we worship you sing hallelujah The voices sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
you put up that new song, Candace? Your love goes on. Go to the lyrics, I'm worthy. Thoughts you have towards me Yes, I'm worthy I'm chosen And I know I've been redeemed By the perfect love of Jesus And the thoughts you have towards me Love 
of Jesus and the thoughts you have towards me. Oh, I'm worthy and I'm chosen and I know I've been redeemed by the perfect love of Jesus and the thoughts you have towards me. There is nothing to separate me from my Father's love. There is nothing that can keep me from my Father's love. There is nothing that can separate me from my Father's love. There is nothing that He's made us worthy. And I'm worthy. I'm chosen. And I know I've been redeemed by the perfect blood of Jesus and the thoughts you have towards me. Yes, I'm worthy. And I'm chosen. And I know I've been redeemed. The blood of Jesus by the perfect blood of Jesus. And the thoughts you have towards me. That's my Father. This morning, we worship you. We love you. We honor you in this place today. And we thank you, Lord. We stand before you as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We thank you, Lord. We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. Therefore, Father, we can come boldly before your throne of grace. There's no situation too difficult for you. You are God of the impossible. You are a God of miracles. And we declare and decree that today. Oh, Father, we're so grateful. We're so thankful for all the spiritual blessings that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We worship you. We thank you.
Jesus. Bab, would you let us pray for you this morning? Amen. I know you're going through a battle. Your family's going through a battle. But the battle's not yours, it's his. And so, Father, today, in the name of the anointing of God, the peace of God, the grace and mercy of God, your grace is sufficient, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, let your rest, supernatural rest and peace come upon her, the whole family, right now, Stephanie, in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, amen, he loves you, amen, amen. Don't let the devil ever tell you you're alone. That's why you need a family. That's why you need a church to stand with you when you go through a hard time, difficult time. Amen? You may be seated. quick announcements. Our new devotionals are in there for March, April, and May. They're in the back. They cost us about $3, so if you want to drop that in the offering or something, that's fine. If you don't have it, take them. They're a great witnessing tool. Just give them away. Um, And we have quite a few of them, so make sure you get those. A couple weeks ago, I told you about the food from Orphan Grain Train. The Orphan Grain Train did not get it Thus, we did not get it. But we do have tomatoes. We have tomatoes back there. And and uh, so before you leave, if you'd like some tomatoes or know somebody that could use them, um, we'll have them out there for you to take. If you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. It says in my commentary, it says all the more careful attention. So therefore, we must give all the more careful attention to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. In other words, he says we got to hang on to salvation and, and God is concerned about that. Now, I'm going to tell you a story today. And it has nothing to do with the offering. It's kind of a wild story. And so I've got to give you the details so that you get the essence of it. But um, it's a true story. And it's, like I said, it's a little wild. And it happened in August of 1978, so over 40 years ago, half of you weren't even born yet. And I'm old. And so in uh, August of 1978, I went back to Tulsa early, 
because school started in August. It was going to be my senior year at Oral Roberts University, and volleyball season practice started a few weeks before school started. So I went back. We had a great coach. She was a great player. She was a great coach, and she was shrewd. She could figure things out how to win. <laughs> and she was intense, though. And we, had a, we knew, we expected we were going to have a really good team that year. And there was a girl from Tulsa University across town, and Tulsa had a, TU had a great team and a good coach too, but not as good as ours. And she wanted to play for, our coach's name was Peggy, she wanted to play for Peggy, and she wanted to play on a really good team, so she transferred to Oral Roberts University. And she grew up military family. I think in San Antonio, I suppose her dad was Air Force, and she had a little edge about her. She was a little rough, but she was our Lauren Stiverin. She was our middle hitter, and she was good. And so we got started with volleyball that year, and our coach, our, bu our budget was limited because our coach wanted us to play great teams and great tournaments, so she spent all of our budget on scheduling and traveling for these great teams. Back then, you didn't play like the sissies do today, just one match a day. We played six or seven matches a day. And we'd go to these huge tournaments. And, and so all the budget went to travel expenses. So we didn't have an assistant coach, and we needed uniforms. Well, if you've ever been in Tulsa or Arkansas in August, it's just ungodly hot and humid. And so we had started practice that week. It was like the first couple days. And we practiced in the aerobic center. It, it kind of reminded you of the Y. It had the track up above, only instead of down below where the Y has the turf field house, there were courts, basketball, volleyball courts. And we practiced on two of them. Those were set aside for us. But there were constantly students and people coming and going because it was open to the students, and they would go by, and they'd stop and watch, but they never interfered. Well, it was about the second day of practice, and this tall, skinny guy walked in, and he walked over, and he just started playing with us, and if, if he'd known Peggy, he wouldn't have done that. She was intense. She wouldn't, have, but it only took a few minutes to realize this guy was really good, and so we just kind of let him play. She was always looking for good volleyball players for us to practice against. So she just let him practice and play with us. And then afterwards, we learned his name was Kevin. And Kevin had played his college volleyball career at UCLA. He was really good. And But Kevin, how I don't know how to describe Kevin, during his time at UCLA or shortly after, he got saved. And he had grown up on the beaches of California. So Kevin was a beach bum, 1970s hippie Jesus freak. That's the only way I can describe him. He was just way out there. And all he did now during this time in his life was just pray, read the word of God, and go look for people he could get saved. And he would just follow after whatever he thought God was telling him. Well, one day... In Los Angeles, he felt like God told him to get on a bus and come to Tulsa, Oklahoma. He had no idea what for. So he did. He didn't own a car. He didn't own only the clothes on his back. And he just 
got in the bus and came to Tulsa, didn't know what to do. Um, the bus center is at downtown, and he had to hitch way out. He didn't know where else to go, so he thought he'd come check out ORU. He hitched down to ORU. He walks into the aerobic center, and he sees us practicing. <laughs> so you got to have understand the details. Well... Peggy, being the shrewd person she was, went to the athletic director and said, get us a room for him in graduate housing. So they got him a room, didn't take anything out of our budget. They got him a meal ticket for the semester at the cafeteria, and he became our assistant coach. And Peggy went out and bought him a couple warm-ups, probably out of her own money, and he was now our assistant coach, and he was great. He was a great asset to the team. And we practiced every day from three to six, and he had to be there by two, so he was working four hours a day for free room and board and traveling on the weekends. And so all the rest, all the time, all he did all the rest of the time was just pray and read and look for people to get saved. Well, George, George was the girl from TU. Her real name was Georgette. We called her George. George came to ORU not because she was interested in the things of God. George came to play volleyball. Well, she was immediately Kevin's instant target. He honed in on her. He was an evangelist, and he would spend his days praying a lot for her. And every time he got close to her, he was witnessing to her. He was giving her scriptures. He was telling her things. It drove her nuts. She couldn't stand it. It ticked her off. She didn't want to hear it. Well, about right before the season started, our games, that weekend, our coach had made arrangements to go to John Brown University in Siloam Springs, Arkansas, and we were going to give them a volleyball clinic. And they were going to pay for all of our expenses. And so she made a deal with them. Instead of paying for our motel rooms, let us sleep in the gym. And we'll take the motel money and buy new uniforms. So now we had an assistant coach in uniforms. And great uniforms. Anyway, so we practiced that morning. And then we got in the van. We all drove to John Brown University. We hosted this clinic all Friday afternoon, Friday evening. It was hot. The gym wasn't air-conditioned. and we had, So we had been playing volleyball all day, and we were exhausted. And so at the end of the clinic, the athletic director from there came to us, and he said, it was a beautiful campus, and, and it had this beautiful indoor swimming pool with windows all out looking over the hills of Arkansas. And he said, I know you're hot and you're tired. Why, if you have any lifeguards among you, and we did, half of us were lifeguards, he says, I'll just open the swimming pool and you can go swim. And why we said no, I'll never know. We said no, we're really tired and we're really hungry. We're going to go get something to eat and just crash. And he says, okay, okay. So we went and got something to eat. We came back to the gym and suddenly we were revived. And we decided we wanted to swim. Well, that was before the day of cell phones. We couldn't get a hold of the athletic director to see if he'd unlock the gym for us. Well, we were a pretty wild and crazy crew and we just decided we'd figure out how to get in there. There were four doors this happened 42 years ago, 
and it's just as vivid to me now as it was then. And so we went to each door, and we tried to get in. We shook it. We rattled it. We, and we came back to the main door in the hallway and really worked on it. We got a hairpin, and we tried to pick the locks. And we got credit card. It was so there was a lock and a deadbolt. So we got couldn't pick the lock. We got credit cards. You ever hear about having to slide a credit card in and open with, you know, this is the students from Oral Roberts University trying to break into the swimming pool at John Brown University. We did everything. We did everything we knew to do, and we couldn't get it open. So we just all slunk down on the floor in the hallway by the door, and then George comes alive, and she starts to get a little mouthy, and she started to mock Kevin, and she started to mock God. And she says, oh, Kevin, she was tall, she was mouthy, she was aggressive, she just was that dynamic force. And she says, oh, Kevin, I thought you told me about the scripture where you knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And she went over and acted like she's going to knock, and no kidding, the door blew open. I have never seen anything like it in my life. It was dead bolted, and the door from the inside out blew open. It blew her back, and she just stood there with her mouth open, as the rest of us did. Well, not wanting to miss out on the situation, we all went swimming and had a great time. And But the thing is, about two days later, George got saved. And I have been... Every time I come, I just been thinking about, every time I come to church, this is the, I just keep thinking this story, thinking, so I'm just telling it to you because it just has been stirred in my heart. All these years later, I still got two buddies I keep in contact with. They remember the story just as well as me. It was what it talked about here in verse 4, God also bearing witnesses with signs and wonders through various miracles. We have gone through a 40-year period of time where God's been pretty quiet, been pretty still, and the church has been pretty mundane. But God, the only reason, I've thought about this for 40-some years, the only reason that happened was for one person to get saved. One person, because everybody else was saved. If he cares that much about one person, do you know what he thinks about the millions of people unsaved in the United States of America right now across the world? He is going to go to any measure to get them. We have entered into a new era. We've come through that 40 period of wandering around in the desert and we're in a new era and God's heart is souls. And if you know me, I am not given to emotion or sappy or weird. And I know that story sounds weird, but it happened. It, it, I've never seen it, anything like it before or since. But I believe that we're going to start seeing things like it now because we're walking into that. Because it's all about souls right now. And the thing is, you don't go looking for stuff like this and trying to make it happen yourself. You can't. We tried to make that happen. It didn't work, but God did. And 
But the thing is, the church, when I say the church, meaning around the world, has been lulled to sleep, and we don't, almost hard for us to believe stuff like that. But trust me, God can do it. He will do it, and he's going to do it. And so even though you don't go trying to make it happen, you need to be aware, and you need to be watching. Oral Roberts had two famous things he'd say over and over and over. One of them was something good is going to happen to you. And the other one was expect a miracle. So I don't know who needed to hear that. I don't need know why, except we have to be in a mindset where we are expecting God. And when there are things that we can't do in the natural for ourselves, believe that God can do it. And that's where we're at right now. I believe that's where we are right now. And like I said, if he can do it for one person, if he can do that for George, he's, he's, he can break through anything for the millions of people. If you ever get an opportunity to listen to Mario Murillo or read his stuff, he's talking about how in 50 years he's never seen a hunger for God like he's seen, seen, seeing now in the revivals that he's doing in California. And that's just the beginning. Like I said, I, this has happened 42 years ago, 42, 43 years ago. And right now just seems like it did back then, just like he's talking about. He's never seen the hunger and the move of God like he's starting to see. And I sense that. And so, man, just get ready. Just be watching for it. Be prepared and expect God to do some great things. I want to give you a scripture. I was reading this the other day, and it's the early church. Remember on the day of Pentecost, and people were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues, and and, um, Peter got up and gave his great sermon. Tells them to repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, to your children, and to those all afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, listen, listen to this, because what are we on? What subject? Doctrine. It says, and with many words, Peter did, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now listen, this is the scripture I want you to see. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Say apostles' doctrine. Apostles' teaching. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine And here's the second one, fellowship, okay? In the breaking of bread, which could be communion, and in prayer. So those four components. Then it says, this is what happened. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Here's another, you know thing that happened. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, everyone say daily, 
not weekly, (laughs) daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, daily, those who were being saved. I believe we're coming in a time where we're going to see daily miracles. People saved daily, healed daily, delivered daily. But I I want you to understand how important it is. And this was the first component. The first thing, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. How important is teaching? The right doctrine, and that's what subject we're on. We haven't received the offering, have we? Go ahead. (laughs) Amen. That's a wonderful example. I like that. Our Father, I tell you, for God so loved the church that He gave His only begotten Son. What? For God so loved the world. Sinners. Amen. People out there right now that, you know, you don't want to have anything to do with in the natural. They're so evil. But God loves the sinner. Can I have a weak, pathetic amen? Amen. See, the thing is, we talk about this. I've been reading Maria Woodworth Eder's diary on miracles. I'm almost done with it. It was this thick. No kidding. That thick. Every campaign, every city she went to, she gave a detailed accounts of people being saved, filled with the Spirit, healed and delivered. Remarkable. And I read that book and I think, oh God, is it going to be like that? Yeah. And it's going to be greater than that. And we'd say, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? I just don't believe it's going to happen. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening right now. Look at the nation. Well, it's just like Noah and the ark. Hundred and how many years? Building that ark. What's rain? And it rained. Then all of a sudden, people began to wake up. Amen? Now, we're on a subject, and I'll, I'll shorten this today, and yeah, that was that's a great story. My gosh, that's ten fifty three. It's all right. I told you, it's all right. You need to be stirred up because I want you to see how important it is. Those coworkers you mingle with every day, those teachers you mingle with every day, those other students you mingle with every day, your neighbors which you see every day. God loves them. Amen. Now, doctrine. Look at Second Timothy chapter. I'm going to kind of give you a review quickly, and I never really did get to finish from um, last week. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you, as you look there and you find your place, we said doctrine is defined this way. Those things we affirm and believe to be true. What do you believe to be true? Hold it up. Hold up that phone. Doctrine is the foundation of what we believe. It imparts what we think. It in 
affect, affects our worldviews. It determines what we believe is right and wrong. It guides us in life, determines our convictions and standards, and affects all of our actions and activities in life. In short, we are the product of our doctrine. We said the acid test of a true doctrine is whether or not it is scriptural, whether it makes men love God supremely and others as themselves, and whether it glorifies God and produces peace among men. When you leave the Bible for any other doctrine, we said you've left God too. Now, at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, it says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and in out of season. Now, listen, if you're going to be a witness and share with others the message of, of, of the gospel, the salvation, you need to be ready. You don't, you're not going to have maybe everything line up the way you think it's going to be. And you've got to be led by the Spirit of God to cast that line out there and reel it in. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Listen, we're in that time. Say, we're in that time. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth, be turned aside to fables, but... Paul says to Timothy, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. That applies to us today. Now listen to to the message translation. He says, you're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. But you... Keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. I like that. Amen. All right. Now, look at uh, Proverbs chapter 24. Can you put up that... um, Central truth for me, please. I want you to see this. This is where we're at. Sound doctrine, a love of the truth, and self-discipline is vital for the believer to stay on course spiritually. How many of you want to stay on course A lack of discipline in applying God's word to your life will only open the door to deception. I want to read it again. Sound doctrine, a love of the truth, and self-discipline is vital for the believer to stay on course today spiritually. A lack of discipline in applying God's word to your life will only open the door to deception. Are you in Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 24. And I want you to look at verse 30. Proverbs 24 and verse 30 states, 
I went by a field of the what kind of man? And by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, and there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. Verse 33, a little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now, that describes the church today. Not though I'm not talking about the remnant. The remnant's with it. Amen? But the church has gotten... That way today. The church today is in the condition it is because of indifference and apathy, compromise, and a lack of discipline. How many of you could say, look at Romans 12 now. I've got to go fast to these scriptures because we gave these to you, but I want you to hear them again. How many of you could say that maybe you could be more disciplined? Some of us are given to more discipline in certain areas of our life. Micah is, is, is so disciplined in, in practicing his, his taking his gun out of the holster. And I've told you stories. I'm sitting there. I'm just in my zone. And he comes around the corner like this and <laughs> wakes me up. But he practices. He practices. He's very disciplined. If we, we all need to be that way spiritually. We need to discipline our lives daily. And all of us have different jobs, different routines. But everyone today, you must, all of us must give time for reading the Bible. We must give time for praying. Worshiping God, amen? Fellowshipping with our God and Creator. And we need to be disciplined about it. You need to be disciplined about using the gifts that God gives you. Praying in the Holy Ghost and praying in other tongues is a gift. And primarily, it's it's a devotional gift. It's for you in your prayer closet. And it's you, spirit He's called the father of spirits. You're a spirit being, and you commune with him with this spiritual language. Amen? You have to be disciplined about it. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're not using and exercising that gift daily, get with the program. Amen? Now, look at Romans 12. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Who's responsible for your mind? Who's responsible for your physical body? You. Who's you? Who's you? Thank you. Your spirit man. Paul, you read this. I'm telling you, folks, you've got to get a revelation in this season that you are a spirit being. You have a soul. 
which is your mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a physical body. This is an earth suit. If I were to take my spirit man out, like I said, he would look a lot better, a lot younger. You'd have hands, arms. You'd have your whole physical or spiritual body, but it would resemble, in, in many respects, your physical body. But it's the real you on the inside. That's the part of you that gets born again, recreated. When you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. But you have to, and I have to make sure every day I look at this Bible and I read it and I meditate on it because this is what you do. This is how you renew your mind. If you don't renew your mind to the Word, you will renew your mind to the world. And you'll think like the world, you'll act like the world, you'll talk like the world, you'll look like the world. That's why it's so important that you do this. Ephesians 4.22 says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You got a new man. See, I'm created in the likeness of God. I'm a new creation. In Christ Jesus. So you've got to renew your mind. See, if I, if I were to ask, if you were to ask the average Christian, are you righteous? They'd say, oh no, I'm not righteous. But if you'd ask, you know, the, the, the believer that's mind is renewed to the word of God, you'd say, yes. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not your righteousness or mine. It's Jesus' righteousness. When you ask Christ into your life, you you receive His righteous nature. And so you are not just, you know, you've got to lose this sin mentality, this sin consciousness. I'm just a sinner. I'll always be a sinner. No, if you've received Christ... You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You and I will not do great exploits for God, win a lot of people to the Lord, see Him healed and delivered, unless you know who you are in Christ. You and I must know in these last days who we are. Because if you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You can cast out devils. Oh, I don't know if I... Am I in the right church? Either you believe it or you don't. I'll just take what I want. I don't want none of that devil stuff or that tongue stuff or all that. I'm just, I just want to be saved and play a harp in heaven. There are people out there like that. God bless them. And I hope when they get to heaven, they just sit on a cloud and play a harp because I'm going to be doing more than that. A mind that is continually renewed by the word of God will be committed to the kingdom of God. A mind that is not renewed by God's word will be committed to the desires of the flesh in this present evil world. Amen. Now I'm going to skip some scriptures and... Turn to 1 Timothy 4. Give you a couple more scriptures. 1 Timothy 4. How many like to exercise? 
Let me see your hands. Just love to exercise. What's this mean? How many of you really love to exercise? I know Kent's wife does. She runs. I can't understand why he doesn't. I've never seen him run with her. <laughs> He's just grinning. I go to the Y. I don't care to do that. Where you been, Ron Elman? I haven't been. I've been walking. I haven't seen you. <laughs> I I go try to go four times a week. She was the PE teacher. She says you got to go at least four times a week. And I go, and I see the same people, and they just aggravate me. You know, they got their outfits on and they run around and they're looking in the mirror and you know they're flexing their muscles and. I just, I go, I walk, I'm out of there in a half an hour. Some people, you know, can, are really focused and like that. And I used to be that way, but not so much anymore. I don't know why. Now listen to the scripture. Here again, Paul, admonishing his, his, his spiritual son. First Tim, did I say 1 Timothy 4? It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some people will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Verse 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith, and of the good doctrine which you've carefully followed. Now listen to verse 7. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. Say that exercise yourself toward godliness. Once more, exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. One translation says, keeping yourself spiritually fit. Another one says, exercise daily in God. I like this one. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. So he's telling his son Timothy, you need to... Spiritually exercise. Be disciplined. Now, I'm going to read to you from Rick Renner, a Greek scholar. This is what he says about the word exercise. You'll like this. Now, after I read this, you'll know how to exercise. After you find out what it means in the Greek. The word exercise was used only to describe the professional combat sports of the day. These athletes wanted the freedom to move their muscles without hindrance. They didn't want to wear any items of clothing that an opponent could grab hold of to take them down. For these reasons, they exercised completely naked. Let us sink in. 
These combat sports were so ferocious that when each competition ended, one of the competitors was usually dead. Knowing that a stiff life or death battle awaited them, these athletes exercised and exercised and exercised to get themselves into the best possible physical condition. This included submitting themselves to self-imposed hardships in order to make themselves tougher. Sounds like the UFC. It says, for instance, because the actual games usually occurred during the blistering hot temperatures of summer, the athletes trained in extremely hot temperatures so they could become acclimated to intense heat. And in order to become hardened to brutality, they would deliberately ask other athletes and trainers to viciously beat them. In this way, they could learn to take as much abuse as possible without allowing it to affect their performance in case they were wounded during the actual games. Rather than look for the easy way out, these combat sport athletes stripped off all laziness, all comfort, even all their clothes so they could energetically exercise and dry themselves nonstop towards physical perfection. Only those who were the most fit would survive and win the games. So they approached hardship as a positive occurrence. Now, let that sink in. They approached hardship as a positive occurrence, an opportunity to develop their mental resilience, their stamina, their courage, their physique, and their staying power. To these professional athletes, hardship was a good thing, for if they properly responded to it, it could only make them better and in the end help them live a longer life. But how many Christians, whoa, I'm going through such a tough time, and they whine and they complain now, I, I get it. If you're a young Christian, a baby Christian, we'll give you some latitude. Amen? But if you've been in the body of Christ for years, and you're whining because you're going through a difficult time, my wife and I could tell you about the early years of ministry. I could spend hours telling you about what we endured, the hardships that we endured. See, I was a quitter before I married her. I was a quitter before I married her. If things didn't go the way I thought they should or it got too difficult, I quit. Then I hitched up with her. And she beat the quit out of me. And through the years, I'll get to the point, kind of whine a little bit. And she'll... And I want her to just throw her arms around me and say, oh, it's going to be okay, Mike, I love you. And she never done that. 39 years of marriage, I've never gotten that. You man to get that, just be thankful you get that. Because she'll tell me to get, mm-mm, mm-mm. But you know what? I'm so glad I married a woman like that. This was exactly the message Paul was giving to Timothy when he told him to exercise yourself rather unto godliness. Paul was telling the younger minister, don't run from the challenges before you. 
or spend your time hoping to find an easier route for completing a very difficult task. Instead, strip yourself of all mentalities that would hinder your growth and embrace this difficult time as an opportunity to spiritually exercise and to develop yourself in the Lord. Paul knew what would happen if Timothy stripped wrong attitudes from his life and approached these challenges with the right attitude. The hardships he faced wouldn't hurt him, but rather would assist in developing him and making him stronger. Right now, this nation, what we're going through, it's it's difficult. And a lot of Christians have backed up spiritually. A lot of Christians are blaming the prophets and blaming so-and-so. But yet their life is undisciplined. They have no right to judge. You and I must, must, must discipline our spiritual man. We are spiritual life. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to have the right doctrine. We've got to exercise the spiritual gifts that God has given us. We need to assemble as together in fellowship as a church body and, and worship our creator, cor- creator corporately. If we want to see signs, wonders, and miracles, it's going to take some of these things. Exercise yourself toward all godliness. One more scripture. Look at Second Thessalonians. I'm just I'm skipping a bunch here today, and I wanted to go on in something different, but I just didn't have an unction to do that. And and we need to review anyway. And I wanted to give her time to share her story. Second Thessalonians. This without reading the entire chapter, it starts in about the great apostasy and what's going to occur. Occur lawlessness will abound. But I want you to see this. It says, verse 9, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Say lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception. Say unrighteous deception. Among those who perish because... Now, this is what I want you to see. Because they did not receive, they did not receive the love of the truth. Say love of the truth. They opened themselves up to lying wonders, deceiving spirits, doctrines and devils, seducing spirits. Because there was not a love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. You don't need to turn there, but let me read this because this describes Satan. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, in verse 13, it says, For such are false apostles... See, if there's a true apostle, folks, there'll be a false one. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, now listen, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Let that sink in. You mean the devil can transform himself into an angel of light? Yes. 
Therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. I'll end with a story. Say love of the truth. Say I love the truth. I love the word of God. Years ago, years ago, in Tulsa, there's a, how many of you know who Willie George is? Great man of God. He's getting up there. I think he retired. His son took over the church. An evangelist and a, a, a prophetic gift. And for years, he, he, had a, he ministered to teenagers. And, and Julie did for years with the 180 program. But in Tulsa, they had meetings. And there was a meeting, meetings were going on where this guest speaker, I don't know who it was, feathers were appearing. Remember that story, Julie? Remember that? They pray for people and feathers would float down. Oh, people were just becoming feather-minded. They wanted to come to these meetings and see these feathers appear out of nowhere. This is true. This is a true story. But the man of God, and you had leaders and pastors. Can you imagine that church, if we had, I invited somebody in, feathers were appearing. And I'm not saying feathers, you know, and that's a type and shadow, I suppose, of the Holy Ghost. Because you know he's a bird, right? Well, Willie George went to the meeting. And exposed the fraud, the deceit. And they were somehow bringing out, I don't know how they did it. They were dropping from the ceiling somehow. Well, what were they doing? They were deceiving the people. Lying signs and wonders. Just stupid. I can't imagine if you and I were there. We would have disrupted the meeting. But people are duped. People just receive, stand up today. People just receive that as a true sign and wonder. Now listen to me and mark what I'm about to say. In the days ahead, I believe we're going to see miracles. Real miracles. I want... Yeah, right. Why does the evangelist have the healing gifts? Healing is the dinner bell for the people to come and get saved. Amen? But you mark my words, we're going to see the days. We're going to see some things. You're going to hear some things. But if you don't have a love of the truth and have your nose in the book, studying the right doctrine, sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, you could be led astray. Amen? It's so important to to discern what God is doing in this hour. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, everyone here today, Lord, I continue to thank you. There be a great hunger and desire to see people saved. A desire to see people born again, filled with the Spirit, healed and delivered. Father, I thank you for helping us, enabling us, to do the work of an evangelist in Norfolk, Nebraska, and the surrounding area. And Lord, we don't want to just stop with 
the new birth, but we want people filled with the Spirit for that's your will. We want to see people healed and delivered, families restored, families blessed in Jesus' name. But I pray the spiritual eyes of the people here today, the eyes of their understanding, be open to see. I speak light and life. I call the people of Harvest Church a discerning people, and they can discern sound doctrine and unsound doctrine. They can discern whether these, these miracles are, are of you, Father, or they are of the enemy. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord God. We are as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So thank you, Father, for your goodness and mercy today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us daily what we do not see. Give us understanding and help us, Lord God, to be strong and bold witnesses for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Now, is there anyone here today you need prayer for your physical body? Yeah. And then I want to pray. Pat Thielen is going this week um, for another major, major back surgery. She's had one already. Now she's going for another one. So I want to pray for her today. Amen. I encourage you in the days ahead, you can witness. You know, listen to this. You don't have to get people born again in order for them to receive their healing. You can take a sinner out there that's sick and doesn't know Jesus and pray for him. That'll get their attention when their body's healed. They'll want Jesus. Amen. What's wrong with this little one? Okay. Yeah. Good smile for me. How are you? Yeah. Yeah. Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke any viruses and cold in Jesus' name, and I lose healing and health upon her. Quick recovery in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we pray for Pat today. Lord, guide the hands of the surgeon as you've already, Lord God, got her through one surgery. Your grace is sufficient. Guide the hands of the surgeon that he skillfully, Lord, repairs this spine, these discs, in Jesus' name. And we thank you for supernatural healing and recovery. We bind fear and we loose peace upon her. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness and mercy for the Thielens. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Well, go out there and just... Speak to the door and it'll open, right? Just back up so it doesn't hit you. God bless you. Have a good week. This weather's about done. It'll be 50 by the end of the week, uh, maybe 30. Let's go for 30. Thank you. God bless you.